listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. The testimonials appearing in this podcast reflect individual experiences and individual results may vary. Cardinal Health does not claim, nor should the listener assume, that any individual experience recounted in this podcast is representative of what another consumer may experience. The Cardinal Health Counter Talk podcast in collaboration with Pharmacy Podcast Network is for independent pharmacists to learn about the state of the industry, innovative services and solutions, and the future of pharmacy. Join me, your host, Jason Calori, for conversations with pharmacists, Cardinal Health leaders, and industry experts sharing best practices, discussing industry trends, and showcasing Cardinal Health products and services. You can subscribe to the Cardinal Health Counter Talk podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome to the Counter Talk podcast. I'm Jason Dogger with Cardinal Health. I'm in the Consumer Health Division. Today we're joined by a couple of special guests from Nielsen IQ. For those that may not be familiar with the Consumer Health Division, we represent all the front-end product pharmacy products. We stock over 15,000 items that fall into OTC, home health care, and personal care product lines. From Nielsen today, we have Hillary Hainsworth-Smith and Jacqueline Flam. Nielsen has a long-standing history with data, and they're a leader in market insights and have been providing data-driven insights for nearly 100 years. Hillary is a leader within their U.S. retail analytics group. Hillary has been working in retail analytics for over 15 years. Uh, Within Nielsen, Hillary's group supports more than 90 key retail clients. Hillary specializes in price, promotion, assortment, and supply chain analytics. Welcome, Hillary. Jacqueline Flam also joins us from Nielsen. Jackie leads Nielsen's U.S. retail division for drug, beauty, and OTC. Jackie brings over 20 years of experience and is currently responsible for partnering with key retail clients and helping them accomplish their business goals through leveraging Nielsen's robust set of market intelligence tools. Welcome, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be here with both of you two today, and I'm excited about the market insights Nielsen is going to share about the current trends impacting the retail independent pharmacies. Thank you so much, Jason. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure to present to you all today. Um, Jason, thank you for the warm welcome. Um, We're having a great time here at RBC and connecting with our manufacturing and our retail partners. Uh, It's a pleasure to meet with the independent drug retailer partners that we have here today. You have a really unique business, and we're just thrilled to share our insights, which we're hoping will drive a lot of value for your business as we dig in from the high level down to those granular recommendations on how you can operationalize and optimize your business in the most effective way to drive the most long-term health to your business. Great to have you guys. So as Jason outlined, Jackie and I are part of Nielsen IQ's retail and drug practice area, and we're just thrilled to share some really exciting market and shopper trends with you today. Um, But first, I figure it's a good plan to kick it over to Jackie to share a little bit more about who is Nielsen IQ, who is this company that's here to chat with you today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Hillary, and thank you, Jason, again for having us. We're excited to be here. And yes, Nielsen IQ is the global leader and the largest consumer intelligence uh, provider uh, globally. So that's uh, gives us a unique perspective to understand how we 
to help to deliver understanding and insights that make up what we're calling the full view. So not only can we share what is happening, but we can also help everyone to understand why it's happening and what to do about it. How do you operationalize some of these insights that you're going to gather today? And we're going to help, hopefully, to lead to some of those conclusions. Nielsen has uh, complete coverage in over 100 countries today, has about 20,000 plus global clients, and measures over 72 million products. Uh, measured every month in about 1,400 FMCG categories. So certainly a lot of breadth and depth. Um, we're also measuring about 1.5 million stores and about 2,000 plus unique retailers. Thanks, Jackie. And those, for those of you listening who maybe don't have a view to where we are all today, we're all in the beautiful city of Boston and currently Jason and Jackie and I are sitting in a beautiful little clear cubicle, and we're waving to a few of the folks outside of the cube. If we're sharing a lot of insights today that you may not be able to pencil down, come on by the Cardinal booth, and we'll be able to share these insights with you. You can just relax and listen, and we can share with you in detail. Get it over to you via email. We'll just make sure um, everything is shared out so you have it at your fingertips. So as we discussed, we're hoping to start with some analysis at a macro level to understand the market trends that are really impacting independent drug shoppers. And what we thought we might start with is our panel data. Most folks, when they hear the name Nielsen, they think of our survey data. You may have heard about the Nielsen rating system. And that's actually how Nielsen IQ got our start 100 years ago. Uniquely, the first stores that we measured back in 1923 were drug retailers. Wow, that's cool. Back in the old days when it was a soda fountain shop and you would go in for your medical remedy. So those were the very first shops that we ever measured. And so what we're hoping we can share with you is who is that shopper in independent drug today? And so those independent drug retailers, um, we're hoping to share with you how that shopper has changed over recent years, and then we'll dive into what are the macro trends that are impacting them. So outside of how they're shopping in your stores, what's top of mind? What are they thinking about um, when they look at their entire budget? And the last topic we'll dive into is our key takeaways and recommendations. And Nielsen IQ, we love the data. We could talk about data all day long, but what we've heard is that everybody needs action steps afterwards to understand the so what from all of these insights. What should I actually do to improve my business? And that's what we want to spend the last bit of our time on. Sounds great. So I spoke a little bit about the history of Nielsen IQ's measurement. And the way that we measure consumers and get that full view of how folks are behaving and shopping starts with our panel data. So when we look at how large our panel data is, we're looking at thousands of folks across the United States, 60,000 to be exact. And of those folks, what we're measuring today for the insights we're sharing is all of the items that those folks have purchased in independent drug that are UPC coded and the prescription products that are coded. So we're providing you with a year's worth of history and how that information has transacted over time. So we're seeing the trends in whether or not folks are buying more front-end products or more prescription products, how those folks may fall into different cohorts or distinct groups. And also I think it's interesting to understand that we can also measure how those folks are shopping, what their behaviors look like. Are they moving across channels? Are they leaving the pharmacies for other channels for certain products or categories? Um, and where there could be opportunities. A holistic view of the shopper. Totally holistic. So first we're starting with who is the independent drugstore shopper? 
And we have two profiles or personas that we like to look at, one which we're calling uh, Carla, which is about 16% of the shoppers today in independent uh, drugstores. Who is she? So Carla, her profile is she's someone that's retired but still has spunk, so typically this is age 65 plus. She may have grandkids, um, live in a two-person household, she loves dancing and bridge, and she lives potentially with diabetes or some other chronic uh, disease state. She's on a fixed income and currently uh, making about $40,000 per year as a result. The other profile that we look at is Carrie. And Carrie is 63% of shoppers. She's a working mom, closer to age 45, has two kids in college, is married. Uh, she has a busy schedule, uh, but she fits in some of her hobbies, including gardening. Her health is a priority, and she takes vitamins every day because she cares about her wellness and her health. And she's certainly a more affluent profile than a Carla. Now, when we think about these shoppers, Jackie, I'd be curious what your take is and you know, how these mix of shoppers um, should be considered when the independent drug retailer or pharmacist is, is considering how to appeal to these various customer groups. Sure. Well, today, 16% of shoppers are con in independent drugstores are contributing two-thirds of the dollar sales. So we want to be mindful of how much they're making up in terms of their shopping behavior, you know, what percentage are heavy shoppers versus light shoppers. And when we think about those personas that I just laid out, we want to make sure that we have appropriate products, merchandised, um, in a way that's understandable for these consumers. Are we catering to all of their needs in a way that makes sense for, for them? So even though she's a very small percentage of the shoppers at 16%, she's making up nearly two-thirds of the dollars. That's right. Absolutely. And that's a, a pretty disparate delta. Most retailers that we work with in the United States have certain shoppers that mean a lot to them. But particularly in independent drug, what we're seeing is that there is a large portion of those sales dollars that's being driven by a particularly small quantity of the shoppers. You think about the other end of the spectrum. What did you say, Jackie? 16% uh, of shoppers? 16%. So 84% of your shoppers only drive a third of your sales dollars. Now, that might make you think, let's set aside those light shoppers. Let's not think about those shoppers. But that's a mistake, too, because, of course, people don't exist in a static form. Right. People age. Generationally speaking, it's going to change. And I would absolutely say that's the truth, Jason. And part of this analysis has not only looked at the independent drug shopper, but how they're shifting. You know, how has the independent drug shopper changed over the past couple of years? Yeah, and I think we're seeing is that they're definitely more affluent. They're coupled, they're more diverse, and uh, they're aging, so they're over 45. We're seeing less income restriction in the household, less children in the home, more single, um, and under 35. So when we consider this, Jackie, would you say there's some takeaways and learning lessons that we could think about with um, action items when it comes to attracting new shoppers to independent drug? Absolutely. I think it's critical, more critical now than ever before, that independent drugstore um, owners are focused on how they're recruiting new customers. So not only on their existing basis, which you have to be mindful of, make sure you have the right merchandising assortment, for, but also make sure that you're attracting new shoppers to keep your business um, dynamic in the years to come. Thank you, Jackie. I 100% agree. 
Now, when we think about how independent drug retailers stack up versus their competition, what we're seeing in the rest of market is actually that you guys are killing it. When we see independent drug shoppers and how much they typically put in their baskets, they're putting $10 more on average in their baskets than when they go into chain drug stores. Wow. That's pretty incredible. I see here, $35. Every time they Every shop. Every time they shop, compared to chain at $25. Yeah, I love it. So we're seeing that you're also reaching about 10% of the U.S. population. That's really exciting, but there's always room for more growth. And the areas in which we see an independent drug over-indexing, we'd love to share with you how we can grow that indexing higher in other parts of the store. Love it. And how many trips, Hillary, are they averaging a year in independent drug stores? Our folks that are in that heavy shopper group, like our Carlas, that are coming in, they're coming in almost once a month. The light shoppers are coming in maybe two times a year to ten times a year. That's typically the borderline that we see where those cohorts tend to drop apart from each other. But in general, the cohorts that we're talking about, that heavy shopper and when we talk about Carla and Carrie, the light shopper, they tend to be coming together in some ways. The older shopper is actually increasing in income. Um, but our carry shoppers, our light shoppers, they're also increasing in income. A fair amount of those shoppers, the light shoppers, are now making over $100,000. I think it's in the high 60s. Wow. Um, we'll be able to dig into the numbers a little bit more tomorrow during our countertalk presentation where we'll have some slides available to reference. Um, but yeah, we're really excited about the trends that we're seeing and the opportunities. You know, post-COVID, there's a lot of opportunities to attract those younger groups of shoppers uh, at the independent drug retail areas. We see that independent drug shoppers also tend to be in rural areas. Um, rural hardworking areas over index for independent drug trafficking of stores. So what we see there is some of the trends with the Zoom towns that are jumping up where folks that used to be able to, uh, used to have to commute into their work office now can work remote, they're choosing to live in more rural areas, those folks are now residing near an independent drug retailer location. Um, if we can increase the traffic and get those folks to come into your stores, you're setting yourselves up for a legacy of financial wellness. Sounds like a great opportunity. Now, as we look at how independent drug is changing, we are seeing a lot of growth where we're not seeing it in the chain drug space. What we're seeing is that independent drug retailers, of course, are spending more per trip, but the amount of trips that are being taken into the store are actually growing at a greater rate than what we're seeing in chain drug. When we look at the chain drug channel, what we're seeing is that the trips are going down. So folks are going into chain drug stores less frequently than they're going into independent drug retailers. Now, I can speak anecdotally about that. In the small town where I live, I can count on Village Pharmacy in Fallbrook, California, to always have my prescriptions ready and able. And when I speak to my physician, they can't, of course, tell me which pharmacy to go to, but they can rank them. And I tell them, what's the likelihood that chain X or Y or Z is going to be able to fill my prescription? They say very low. I tell them Village Pharmacy, and they say, by far the best. Nice. Those are exciting trends for us to think about when we see that more trips are being taken in. I know that's anecdotal detail, but we see the numbers showing that that trend is not just happening in my little village of Fallbrook, California. That's happening all across the United States. 
In terms of annual spend, are you seeing any interesting trends on that front, Hillary? We are seeing an increased basket size and annual spend going up within the United States. So when we look across all independent drug retailers, we're seeing basket size go up for all shopper groups. So it's not just those folks that are coming in every month that are spending more. We also see the folks that are coming in and spending less. They're coming in probably two or three times a year spending quite a bit more. Now we're not seeing the same trends within chain drug stores, especially when we look at the split for front end and prescription. But part of what is growing that is inflation. So I don't want to run away and say that because basket sizes are growing up, people are buying more units of items. So you may not be selling um, just as many tubes of the um, athlete's foot cream that you have on the shelf, but because it's a little bit more expensive, you're hopefully seeing a boost to your revenue. Of course, we're seeing costs go up in general all along the supply chain from the folks that are manufacturing that tube of toothpaste or the tube of cream um, to the folks that are selling it within the stores. But consumers, when we look at that, uh, we seem to see that consumer confidence is waning a little bit recently, and that's actually the next step that we're hoping to jump into with you today. Okay. Before we go into the macro trends that are impacting those independent drug shoppers, one factor I want to make sure everyone is aware of is just how important the front end is. When we look at the changes versus 2022 and how independent drug shoppers are spending their money when they come in, fewer shoppers are coming in and only buying prescription. Uh, it's down slightly. 40% of shoppers only buy prescription items. Um, but those that are buying front end only or buy any front end are 60%. So we're seeing front end purchases go up within independent drug shopping. Um, which is great because that's an opportunity to grow revenue and margin within, within the independent drug retailers' books. Trying to get them to make that front-end purchase and not just the RX purchase. Exactly. Yeah, I think what's interesting here is that when you look at the shoppers that are only coming in to fill scripts and the, the consumers that are coming in to only shop front-end, they're roughly the same percentage. So you definitely want to pay close attention to what's happening in the front end of the store to be able to maximize that opportunity. Now, also as a part of our analysis, we've looked at how independent drug retailers are gaining and losing their share of the wallet within healthcare and beauty. So, um, Jackie, I'd love to hear what you have to say on this. Yeah, well, first I want to understand what share of wallet uh, refers to to make sure that everyone listening uh, has a good understanding. When we look at all the dollars that are being spent, within the United States or within a cohort of shoppers when we're analyzing a panel, what we're trying to understand is, does each channel get their fair share? So within independent drug, you're receiving a share of health and beauty dollars. So there's all the health and beauty dollars that are being sold within the United States. There's healthcare dollars, there's beauty dollars. We wanna make sure that independent drug shoppers are spending as much of their dollars in your stores as in remaining drug or other channels where they can buy certain products. Now we are seeing some positive trends for independent drug. Um, right now we're seeing a slight uptick of 0.3 points year over year where independent drug shoppers are getting a greater share for this healthcare and beauty. When we look at the other channels where we're seeing growth, where they're gaining share and others are losing it, 
the, the losers within the space for healthcare and beauty for share of wallet are grocery. And we're also seeing club stores and online slightly ticking down. We are seeing remaining drug retailers ticking up at a, high, at a faster pace than independent drug. So what that tells us is that folks are shopping more in drug stores for their healthcare and beauty items, but they're giving more of those dollars to chain drug stores. And so one way we can help our independent drug partners determine how to grow their business, especially on the front end, is carrying the right types of products to ensure that you have a fighting chance to get a better share of those dollars. Excellent point. You have to have what they're looking for to be able to convert that customer. Exactly. That's right. I mean, that combined with price are the two biggest um, concerns when you think about leakage to these other retail types to make sure that not only you have the right assortment, but you're also pricing effectively to be able to keep the consumer shopping inside your pharmacy rather than having to go elsewhere for the products that they're seeking. Now, Jackie, you know I love to get into the data, and we dug into a report where we were looking at the types of items that are really relevant and where we see the top-selling items within the drug channel. Um, did you want to dig into the types of items that we're seeing within the drug space that are really important to carry on the front end? Sure. And certainly some interesting items as part of this mix, um, and we don't want to disregard how important this information is because, again, that having that right assortment is mission critical to making sure that you're growing sales in the front end of the store and keeping consumers engaged. So I would say paper towels in all sizes on the list, baby formula that addresses digestive sensitivities, huge, especially with the the shortages of last year, I think there was probably a lot of um, you know, consumers looking for that. Uh, also non-antibiotic psoriasis cream, so any sort of topical therapeutic type products are extremely important within the pharmacy channel. Thermocare, single-use patches, um, boiled up to the top of that list, as well as uh, Nizerol, the anti-dandruff shampoo, very popular. Uh, Dry shampoo, one of my favorite beauty staples, definitely important for consumers to have, both for your young consumers as well as even for those consumers that might be um, having hospital stays or coming home and can't actually wash their hair. Great product to have on the shelf. Emergency contraceptive as well as athlete foot cream are some of those products that we found are the, the drivers of um, consumers seeking other channels. I mean, being more exhaustive there, we certainly have other products like Sensodyne toothpaste, laxatives, electric shavers, as well as energy drinks and water, which perhaps is something that um, we wouldn't imagine, but is a huge driver. So I don't know, Hillary, if you have any other context on that. You know, we can look at the data and we look at how this is compiled and what a few of the other experts are talking about at these counter talk theaters and uh, what you'll hear in the other podcasts today. And what I've noticed is that a lot of folks are looking at the increase in caretakers doing the shoppers on behalf of the end consumer. And I think that we're starting to see some of those trends boil up in the point of sale data. So when we think about you know, somebody who is a caretaker, they have a lot on their shoulders, they're probably branching out into new spaces where they haven't worked before, you know, they may be the person who's shopping in that way and maybe they're not purchasing directly for themselves, but they're buying, of course, the dry shampoo because that makes their job as a caretaker easier. Mm -hmm. um, not having to use a multi-use um, microfiber towel at home, they're buying the paper towels because that helps them 
take better care of the folks that they're working with on a daily basis. Nice, excellent insights. As well as the sweet treats and energy drinks. <laughs> we can't forget those. I'm not responsible for all of those, but I might be skewing <laughs> the data because I do love some energy drinks. The key takeaway, and, or one of the last takeaways I wanted to mention as we look at um, our panel data, um, and we consider who this independent drug shopper is, when we look at the percentage of folks that come in to independent drug for their uh, prescriptions, we see that independent drug shoppers get 70% of their prescription products from independent drug retailers. So if, they're, if they have 70% of the share of wallet for prescription drug items, how healthy would your business be if we could get you that same share for those healthcare and beauty items? They already trust you for some of the most critical things that they need to bring in um, into their home for their health and liveliness. If you're carrying those healthcare and beauty items, the trust is already there. Um, we just need to create the convenience to pick that up. Converting those customers is a huge opportunity from a revenue standpoint. Huge. So as you look at your business, that's certainly the biggest opportunity financially. All right. For our next section, we're hoping to jump into some U.S. retail macro trends. We've talked a bit about the independent drug retail shopper, who they are, how they've been changing and shifting. And now we want to talk about the factors that are affecting them outside of their direct shopping behavior within perhaps your pharmacy. There's a lot to take in with the dynamism that we're seeing um, within the economy within the US. Uh, generally, what we're seeing is that there is a lot of volatility. Everyone has experienced a lot of shifts, but what Nielsen IQ does, in addition to measuring what's happening, current state, we create some forecasts so we can understand how we predict businesses will continue to grow and change over the next year. Now, we don't have all of those insights as part of our podcast and our presentation we're going to be sharing, but we do have it prepared for you to take away. So if you come over to the Cardinal Health booth after these presentations, we'll make sure to get that into your inbox so you can dig into all the details. I mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast that, in general, the way that we see U.S. consumers purchasing products we're seeing some wavering of confidence. When you look at the uh, consumer confidence report for Q2 of 2023, we did see wages increase, but they're not really increasing in step with the consumer price index. So what does that mean? It means wages are going up, of course, and that's great news for the end consumer. That's probably why we see shoppers like Carla or shoppers like Carrie with increased income. Um, a lot of the carry shoppers, so the lighter shoppers, many more of those folks are going back to work full time and they're making a lot more money. But we're also seeing that inflation is ticking up at a rate faster than those folks are receiving increases in wages. So the inflation, the wages are not keeping pace with the rate of inflation is what you guys are seeing. That's right. Now, when we think about inflation, I couldn't help myself but thinking about a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, and when we talk about the numbers that we'll be sharing today, I know it's always hard without a visualization. When you're going on a roller coaster ride, you always come to a crest at the top. That's a lot of what we're seeing generally with inflation, that we've been on an upward trajectory, but we're starting to see the pitch at which we're traveling upward balance off. So we're getting to the crest of what appears to be the inflation um, apex, where inflation is increasing, but not at the same rate that it has been historically, which is good news for consumers at an aggregate level. 
Now we're seeing some areas where consumers are experiencing some downticks within prices. Within energy, for example, we're seeing energy prices drop 11%. So that is giving quite a bit of relief. That's related to transportation, of course, when we think of gas prices and the prices to heat your home, et cetera. When we look at various geographic splits across the continental United States, we're seeing similar trends where there are slight upticks where we look at the period of time over the past year, but in recent months, we again see that we've hit the apex of inflation. Now, in general, on the other end of the spectrum, while we are seeing some downticks in energy and other costs, we are seeing some increases in personal care products, which are, of course, highly relevant to the independent drug shopper. When we look at non-prescription drugs, we're seeing an increase of 6.2% year over year. That's quite an increase. Yeah, personal care is plus 7.5% and beauty is 5.3% in terms of inflation. So definitely having an impact on the everyday. In response to this, what we're seeing is that consumers are shopping in different ways and they're funding their shopping in different ways. In some ways, it seems that consumers may be relying upon their credit cards to fund some of their purchases. Um, our growth for revolving outstanding credit card debt has slowed, but still is up from previous years. So again, a similar trend where the growth in revolving outstanding credit card debt is slowing down, but it's still higher than it has been historically. Versus a year ago, it's plus 13%. That's meaningful. Yes, yes, absolutely. And we're hoping that we're at the end of that trend. Nothing too surprising, but when we think about all of the factors impacting a shopper's uh, state of mind when they think about spending money, housing is probably at the top of that list and pretty much universally across the United States. We've been feeling some pain in terms of um, median sale price for homes. We do see a slight decrease in the median sale price for homes where prices are down 8.9%, but they're up. Um, prices are down versus Q4 of 2022, but up versus a year ago. So there's some leveling out and some normalizing that appears to be happening. So to sum up what's happening outside of the uh, direct shopping behavior for the independent drug shopper. We can think about these macro trends um, in two general buckets. We've got economic indicators. How are we seeing consumer confidence, inflation, and housing affordability um, impact their shopping behaviors? And then we also wanted to share with you how Nielsen IQ forecasts this will actually end um, in the end of 2023. Consumer confidence, as we discussed, is slightly decreased because, of course, wages are going up but not keeping pace with inflation, which reduces some of that confidence. Um, of course, inflation, as measured by CPI, has slowed down, but it has not stopped. Let's also keep in mind it's not that the roller coaster has come down. So we have not seen a reversal of those prices. They've gone up and practically stayed in place. Housing affordability. Uh, which is a positive aspect, has continued to improve. Um, interest rates are seeming to hold steady um, at around 6.71, and as we discussed, prices are slightly down. So we do expect retail sales to be up, but it's driven by price increases. I think that's a really important note that people realize the units might be down slightly, but the prices are up 7% or so, which is driving the growth there in the retail space. Absolutely. 
Thanks, Jason. That's one of the key takeaways I want to emphasize to folks is that um, we are going to likely see some growth um, in 2023, 5.9% over previous years. But yes, not necessarily growth in units. Those are going to be down slightly by negative 1.5%. But the price increases are what's driving that incremental revenue. And what about private label? What's happening on the private label front? Private label is great news, and this isn't too surprising. Any folks that were around and experiencing the Great Recession about 15 years ago probably remember some of these trends. But as, as folks tighten their belts, one frequent switch that they make when they're building their basket is switching over from a national brand to a private label because they can continue to receive the value for a very similar product and uh, save a little bit of uh, of money that can contribute to some of those increasing prices elsewhere. And we are predicting a similar trend where instead of 7.5% growth, we're expecting private label sales to be up 10%. Wow, that's a huge opportunity in the private label space. For anybody here at the show, you can check out the leader space in the retail success area if you want to capitalize on the leader private label here with Cardinal. Thanks, Jason, 100% agree. So now we're at the point of our presentation where we've talked a little bit about the macro trends impacting independent drug retailers. We've talked about the shoppers. Now we want to dig into some of the point of sale data that we receive um, all across the United States here at Nielsen IQ. So we partner with about 80,000 different outlets across the United States where every, every week we receive their point of sale data. So everything that transacts within their registers we ingest, and we actually ingest a representative sample from Cardinal Health independent drug retailers. So we've taken that data and we've analyzed it to identify some key areas where you can improve your business, taking these macro trends and boiling, boiling them down into tactical improvements to your business. And Jackie, I think you hit the nail on the head a little bit earlier. We were talking about some of the product groups that we saw had great opportunity when we look at what is being carried within drug. And as an independent drug retailer thinks about the product types that they want to carry within their stores, front end is very important. Uh, you know, as we think about the product types, a general trend that we are seeing is that independent drug has a lot of concentration of power. There's a lot of uh, SKUs and products that are very powerful, that are very important to include. So staying in stock on those SKUs is mission critical, making sure that you have the right volume of product on the shelf um, is, is absolutely essential, and making sure that you're carrying uh, all of the SKUs that are what we're considering power SKUs really represents a great opportunity for revenue growth um, in the months and years ahead. We talked a little bit about those product categories earlier. And in general, when we think about the product categories that represent good revenue or margin opportunity, one overarching trend that we saw across product groups is that items that address a chronic, fairly uncomfortable need are more likely to be price insensitive. Now, that does not mean, of course, that you would take your price through the roof. But when a consumer thinks about um, an uncomfortable situation within their shoes, and you can tell 
if your shoes are uncomfortable, it's going to show on your face. Um, somebody will likely give you permission to charge 10 cents more for the tube of anti-itch cream if they're experiencing a problem within their shoes, um, if, if they have the convenience of picking that up when they're also picking up their prescription. So those are opportunities where if you're carrying the right items, the customer gives you some permission to charge a hair more than the big box players down the street because they don't want to take that trip and have that inconvenience of having to stop twice. I spoke to a few folks anecdotally today that were talking about uh, some of the changes that they're planning on making within their assortment. And some folks were talking about uh, certain items that they've carried historically that are feel-good items. Everybody wants to carry greeting cards or folks want to carry um, items that are impulse. But some folks are bringing in different items like durable medical equipment. Oh. They're bringing in items like knee scooters and walkers and wheelchairs and making them clearly visible in the front of store because oftentimes consumers may not realize that those are readily available within their independent drug location. So they would be able to save themselves time and especially if they're going in to fill prescriptions, post-surgery, et cetera. So we're really thinking hard about a lot of those need state items, things that are really uncomfortable, things that they can help the, the shopper right there in the moment when they're there to pick up a prescription. Absolutely. So when we think about these power SKUs, you can think of the Pareto principle. You think about the 80-20 rule that a very large portion of your business is driven um, by just a small portion of the UPCs. And generally what we see is these items that address need states are critical to have in your front end. Um, and as you look at the types of items, if you didn't catch all of them, please feel free to come by the Cardinal booth and we'll make sure we get you signed up to receive these detailed reports. Now, Jackie, you mentioned again earlier that it's not just about assortment. It's also important that we have the right price for items on the shelf for independent drug retailers. Yeah, and like you just mentioned, um, with a lot of those need states, the elasticity of those products, the customer will give you permission to be able to make those changes sometimes higher, but oftentimes you need to be more competitively thinking about where you are, you're pricing as well. So tell me a little bit about how that's changed in the independent drug pricing landscape. I'd love to. When we looked at all of that point of sale data that we receive as part of our partnership with Cardinal Health, where we receive a statistically representative sample of all independent drug point of sale data, we saw that there's a great opportunity for top line improvement. Some of that will come from price increases and some will come from decreases. Now we see the opportunity or size of price is particularly great for independent drug retailers. So I feel like there's blue skies ahead for you all. Generally what we're seeing when we look at the breakdown in terms of items to change, only 2% of your items need to be lower priced and 27% of items that we see that need price changes can be increased in price. Wow, an opportunity to take up more than a quarter of the assortment, take it up in price. Yeah. Yes. And even for those that you're taking down the price, the opportunity is certainly to drive unit volume. Right. Absolutely. And it's a balancing act. I mean, I think most independent drug retailers rec recognize this, that um, there's always a give and take. At Nielsen, we like to take a very balanced approach and that way you can make sure that you're bringing in the items at a really competitive price that are going to uh, stick in the mind of the consumer. 
So generally the items that we see that consumers want to have competitively priced are items that they purchase more frequently, so it's easier for them to remember the price in their mind, and also items that tend to be carried elsewhere in the rest of market and also carried elsewhere in the rest of market at a fairly consistent price point. You know, we have some examples as we think about the types of products that end up on either end of the spectrum. And we can match these items up with the shoppers that we talked about a little bit earlier. It kind of reminds me of the price is right. Making <laughs> sure that you have in your mind, right, you have in your mind what that product is worth to you and making sure that those expectations are met when you're at the point of sale. Maybe we should consider a game show theme yes. for some future RBC. <laughs> <laughs> I always overbid. I would be out the moment we started. Let's not charge $1. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. So when we think about it, let's think about Carla. We'll take this back to that heavy shopper we were talking about that's extremely important to protect. She only makes up one or two out of 10 of the folks that come in your doors, but she spends a lot of money within independent drug. Now something that she's buying quite a bit and is available in a lot of retailers, Colgate Optic White. So she is purchasing toothpaste, she's purchasing it on a fairly regular basis, and when she purchases that elsewhere, she's seeing a fairly consistent price point. So perhaps she sees that item at a price point of around $6.49 elsewhere in the market, but if she sees that within the independent drug retailer at $8.99 or so, um, that is going to seem like a pretty steep increase to pay, especially for somebody on a fixed income. Um, so she will probably opt to purchase that item elsewhere if she sees it at that price point. Now if you think about how often Carla comes in, if that price alternatively was shifted downwards, she will be able to see that, especially if you call out on your, sh on your shelf, new lower price point. Let's take a note from our friends at Ikea. You can always see when they take their price points down year after year, they will shout it from the rooftops. You take your prices down, make sure to put a shelf talker on your shelves to call that out to your customers. That's going to increase the units and it's going to create trust with a really important customer, and you'll also be able to benefit from the other customers within the shop, like Carrie. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to remember that while you might see it as, okay, it's one item, it's priced this way, and you know, uh, perhaps she'll continue to purchase it elsewhere, and that's okay, what ends up happening is if she continues to purchase elsewhere, she's gonna continue to fill her basket elsewhere, and eventually you'll have a leak customer set that includes more than just toothpaste. So you wanna make sure that the competitively priced toothpaste is also keeping her shopping in the independent pharmacy versus going elsewhere altogether. Agree. So we spoke about a fairly sensitive or elastic type of item. We talked a little bit about toothpaste. When we spoke about the opportunities that exist within independent drug retailers, only a few items really needed to be shifted down there's a far greater proliferation of items that can be taken up in price. One example might be a fairly small pack size of a household paper item. So one example we saw pulled from the data was some small packs of toilet paper. So when we think about this, perhaps your shopper also shops in club, but they may have to make a long drive, to take a long drive to get to club, and when they need that particular item, there isn't a lot of flexibility. In the same way as if you're uncomfortable and there is a, you have a migraine and there's a bottle of Tylenol extra strength on the shelf, you're probably going to buy that and you won't sweat spending an extra 20 cents to take the headache away. 
Um, toilet paper, also another need state that is urgent to address. So if you tell your customer, we're going to charge 20 cents more, they will give you permission to take a little bit more. That does not sound like a lot, but when you think about 27% of your UPCs, those pennies stack up fast. So as we think about the key takeaways and the ways in which you might be able to improve your business, the final aspect that we would love to mention to you is, is how you might be able to effectively promote your items within your stores. We conducted a quick assessment of the ideal promotion tactics within US Drug and how those break out per category. So some items, when you promote, um, don't necessarily need to have a price reduction at all. There are different tactics that are necessary, and if you're looking at an item that is not very price sensitive, um, those are items where you may not necessarily need to take price down, just put out an extra display. So if we think about that, uh, we can think about a display like sun care items or bath items. Certain times of year, all it has to be is readily available and at their fingertips. You don't need to give away any promotional dollars. We can, oh, go ahead. So you want to be very thoughtful about the category and whether or not it's worth taking a temporary price reduction versus just having a feature with a display, which might be enough to be able to gain the consumer interest, make sure that they're aware of what is being carried, um, and help to promote just visually. Absolutely. Now we've got those granular details available, and of course we'll be able to get those to you if you come on by the Cardinal booth and get scanned in. Um, but the key takeaways that we are seeing um, as we consider what you should do to respond and aggregate all of these insights into your business. Know your customer, watch the market, and put these practical insights into action. Right, and some of those practical insights, just to recap, uh, we spoke about independent drug sales dollars uh, being concentrated, protecting your power items, making sure you keep them in stock, and cutting slow movers, so you want to be very thoughtful about what's working and maybe where you have the right to win, what opportunities you have um, to be able to leverage. Not all price changes are equal, so we spoke about some, um, you know, some price permission items where you have the ability to price, uh, to reduce the price, but also to increase the price and how that's going to affect consumer demand to be able to maximize the revenue opportunity. And lastly, what we just spoke about, which is promotion made simple, making sure that you're applying tactical uh, decision-making that makes sense for both the category, your time of year, and making sure you're not taking price promotion on promotion when not needed. Um, sometimes that could come in the form of just visually merchandising categories differently to be able to attract attention. Excellent, thank you both. Hillary, Jackie, thank you for your time. I look forward to seeing some of the data and the visualization you guys have tomorrow during the countertop theater time that we have booked tomorrow afternoon. Uh, for more information or to leverage some of these opportunities in assortment, pricing, and promotion, please stop by the retail success area on the showroom floor and ask about our FERP program, our front-end reimbursement program to help grow your front-end volume. Thanks again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.